Good morning, men. Good morning. Part of uh, the Ranger Creed talks about pressing on to the Ranger objective and accomplishing the mission, though I be the lone survivor. Um, sometimes in our marriages, we feel like that, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm at a disadvantage on that sometimes because when Shannon and I have conflict in our home, which we do, uh, she looks at me and she says, don't be my counselor. And I'm like, that's a cheap shot. <laughs> but seriously, do whatever it takes. And um, uh, think about your 20th anniversary. If you could spend it anywhere and do anything in the world with your wife to celebrate 20 great years of being married, where would you do that? Uh, May 8th, 2013 was our 20th anniversary. And we celebrated sitting on a marriage counselor's couch. And I do that for a living. God's got a sense of humor, right? We're working through a parenting issue and it come between us. And we just needed to go get some perspective. And there's no shame in that. That's, that's wisdom, to go out and seek, uh, seek others' help. You know? And so, so we did. And I was really glad we went. Shannon was glad we went. And we got out to the parking lot. We were holding hands, walking out to the car and laughing. And I opened the door for her and she got in. I walked around the other side and I got in and guys, we had an argument in the parking lot before I backed out of the parking space. Uh, some seasons of life are like that. Like that. Um, the whole way home, 20 minutes, my wife is sitting there like this, looking out the window. I mean, it was silent. Pull up the house, I said, dear, this is not a night for romances, fancy dinners, cards, gifts. It's our 20th anniversary, but let's not fake it, okay? There'll be plenty of times to enjoy that stuff in the future, but let's just be real. We're gonna get through this together, it's hard but we're gonna get through this together, okay? Now, can you get out of the car? I gotta go help somebody with their marriage. I got an appointment in 10 minutes. <laughs> hey, God will keep us humble, right? God will keep us humble. We, uh, we as men are called to lead. And how many of y'all saw a good example of a spiritual leader in your own dad when you were growing up? Yeah, that's, that's not most of us in the room. Um, we can't lead our families to a place that we've never been. And my wife, if she doesn't know how to do something, she's going to call your wife. And she's going to say, hey, you want to get together and figure this out together? And, uh, and, and they'll spend the whole day together chit-chatting, having a great time. And they'll come home, and I'll hear about it, and you'll hear about it. We'll have like a four-hour conversation about their day with them. And, and, and they're all charged up and great. And now, you and me, if I don't know how to do something, the last thing I'm going to do is pick up the phone and, you know, and call you and say, Don, you know, Don, just let me tell you how stupid I am. I don't know how to do this. You want to get together all day? You can tell me all day how stupid I am. You know, we, we don't do that as guys, right? We, we tend to, we tend to um, try to be silent and tough and stick it out and figure it out on our own. And that means we're isolated and we, we end up stuck a lot. So we're going to talk about spiritual leadership in a little bit this morning. But this is a great quote. comes from a book that was written in 1858. It said, there's no member of a household whose individual piety is of more importance to all the rest as a father. Where the head of the family is lukewarm. He'll send a chill throughout his whole house. And if anything good happens, it's in spite of him, not because of him. Wow, that's, that's pretty daunting. Um, there's no higher calling in life than to introduce our children to Jesus Christ, than to lead our wives and our kids and our grandkids to the foot of the cross over and over and over and over again. And you might not have seen that when you were growing up, um, but that's the calling that God has on your life. And that's a pretty cool thing. Proverbs 27, 33 and 34 says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Do you know the condition of your flock, Mr. Shepherd? Do you know where your wife is in her walk with the Lord, where your kids are, where your grandkids are, where your, your nieces and nephews are? Uh, where are they in their walk with the Lord? Do you know? Uh, Jesus said that, um, you know, if one of the sheep is lost, he leave the 99 there and he goes out and pursues the one that's lost. 
and he finds them, and he brings them back. We've got to take the initiative and pursue like that. Jeremiah 10, 21 says, The shepherds are senseless. This, this verse haunts me. The shepherds are senseless, and they do not inquire of the Lord. That happens in our homes too often. The rest of that verse, So they do not prosper, and their flocks are scattered. I don't want my flock to be scattered. You're on earth or for eternity. Do you? We need to pursue the Lord. We need to seek Him and find out what it is. What does it mean to lead, to lead well? Um, when I was going through ranger school, uh, you had a roster number on your, on your helmet, or, or you had a soft cap on. It's just something you kind of memorized. And, and you'd hear that dreaded call, roster number 249, get over here. And you're going, oh, no, they're going to put me in charge for the next 12 hours. Imagine 68 days, and you get about two hours of sleep a night. Maybe. Sometimes you walk till the sun comes up, you don't get any sleep. You get about uh, one and a half meals a day, and I lost 35 pounds off of my frame. Uh, I've stood there and waved at teddy bears in the tree, and uh, I talked to a bush once for 20 minutes, giving them the Claymore mine. I uh, saw guys put money in a bush and push a leaf and wait for their coke to come out and shake it and yell at it, you know. Um, some crazy things happen. So imagine that that's the kind of situation that, that I'm in, and now. They're going to put me in charge. How do you keep 40 guys doing anything when they're falling asleep, literally falling asleep on their, on their feet like this? You know, how do you do that? So when they, when, when they put you in charge, it's like, oh, this is going to be a rough day. So they called me, and I'm, I'm in charge trying to move us through wherever. And, and this ranger instructor is up in the Appalachian Mountains at this point, up and down the mountains with about 80 pounds on your back. And this sergeant comes up, and he looks at me, and and he pulls out his map, and he takes a little twig out of his mouth. It's like a toothpick size, and he hands this thing to me, and he says, where do you think you are, Ranger? Now, you've got to figure that toothpick is as wide as a football field on that map. All right. And I'm looking here, and I'm thinking, I don't even, I don't even know where I am. You know, I, would, I don't even know what my name is. And uh, is that a bush or a Coke machine? You know, I mean, all that's kind of going through your head. And, and, I, and I touch the map. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there, Sergeant. And he looks at me, and he goes, are you sure? And I'm thinking, oh, I want to punch him. <laughs> and I said, I said, yep, I'm sure. He says, all right, drive on, good job. And I, oh, still want to punch him. Um, but my point is, if I were to hand you the map and a little twig and say, where are you? Better yet, where's your wife? Do you know where your wife is in her walk with the Lord? Do you know what she's struggling with right now? Do you know how to pray for her in that? Do you, do, you know, do you know where she needs to grow next? How about your kids, whatever age they are? Maybe they're little ones and they don't know Christ yet. You know, maybe, maybe they do and, and, and they're married. I've got three kids and, and they're 20, 22, and 23. What, what's the next step that my daughter needs to take or my two sons need to take? Where are they spiritually? Do, do you know? If, if you're married... Well, let me give you a little heads up here. We're going to talk through the different kind of stages and ages of life and things like that because we're all in different ages and stages of life. Right? Some, some people in here might be single and not married. Right? Might be young guys. Hey, your job is to look around you and learn as much as you can by watching guys who are married, by watching guys who are dads, and try to figure out from them, how do I do this right? And your, your wife, when you get married someday, and your kids, when you have kids someday, will be very grateful for your studiousness in that. And find, find people that will pour into you. Find mentors that you can look to and you can learn from. That's your job. If you're married, and just room this size, I'm guessing one or two of you are, 
there's a lot of responsibility when it comes to leading, right? How about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? We stop right there, but that verse keeps going. And, and that section of scripture in Ephesians 5 talks about washing our wives with the water through the word. Wow, what does that mean? You ever heard a sermon on that? I never have. I've looked, and I found it in one chapter of one book, and it was about, about 10 lines long, and that was it. And I've looked a lot. That's not a chapter we preach on. Well, we do, but we stop after husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, our wives are looking to us for leadership. Um, they're looking for us to, to open God's word. And, and, and I don't have a seminary degree, do you? That's not written to pastors. That's written to men. That's written to husbands. That's us, if you're married. Uh, that's a pretty cool thought. But that's a, that's a high calling. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, yeah, and washing her with the water through the word. Hmm. Um, I had a friend of mine whose wife called me, and she said that, uh, actually, no, he called me and told me about a conversation that, that she had with him after dinner one night, because he had just opened his Bible and started reading the book of Genesis a couple weeks beforehand. He just started on page one and starts reading it through. And, and his wife came up to him after dinner, and they tucked the kids in bed, and she said, I learned five things tonight about the book of Genesis that I didn't know before. Thank you so much for reading at the dinner table. Oh, wow, cool. Good for you, buddy. Um, that's the kind of impact we're going to be having on our wives. But these are my wedding vows from 25 years ago. And one of them says that I will help Shannon grow in her relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're married, that's part of your job description. And we think, you know, okay, I hold hands and we say grace before we eat. Well, okay, check. I drive to church with my wife in the car. Well, so could an Uber driver, right? I just don't get tipped like he does, you know. And so th those kind of things are good, but that's like the starting point. That's the starting point. Um, my mom will tell me sometimes, I woke up this morning, and your dad was kneeling by my side of the bed praying for me before I got out of bed, before I even opened my eyes. Wow, that's cool. Think my dad's a pastor? Think he's been to seminary? No, he didn't come to know the Lord until he was about 33. That's an amazing transformation. And my mom benefits from that every single day. How about you? Where are you in terms of leading your wife and encouraging your wife in her walk with the Lord? Kids. Our job with young kids is to introduce them to the Lord because they don't come out of the womb knowing Christ. They don't come out of the womb knowing that they're sinners. I mean, we know they're sinners. We can watch that, right? But they don't understand that, that God will forgive them of their sins. And that he desires a relationship with them. Uh, well, how do we model that? Well, do you show that you desire a relationship with your kids? Do you talk to them about Jesus? Do you tell them about your best friend? I, I remember taking my, my little son, Charles, when he was first born. And, and we're driving from Fort Benning, Georgia, down to South Florida to visit my parents. And I got to introduce my son to my dad. That's cool. That was, like, that was a really neat moment. Do I introduce my son to my daddy in heaven? That's a really eternally impacting neat moment. Do we think about that as men? But that's our, that's our privilege and our responsibility. Um, Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. Uh, it's talking about the Passover. And God says, hey, when your kids ask you, why do you do this? Tell them, this is what it means to me. 
it's not some generic kind of a comment. No, this is what that's all about. It's, this is what it means to me, to me. Uh, Dad, why do you read your Bible? Well, let me tell you, Tommy, I'm glad you asked. Dad, why do you pray? Oh, Hannah, glad you asked. Let me tell you, those kinds of things are open doors with our kids. How about this? Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. This is a verse that should haunt us as fathers. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. And because you have ignored the law of your Lord, I will ignore your children. I don't want God to ignore my children. That, that'll shake us to the core if we stop and think about that for a second. But we have an opportunity to lead our kids to the Lord and to teach them the importance of a value, not just of knowing Christ, but having a relationship with Him. And you know, God never intended the church to do things that He created the family to do. God never intended youth pastors and, and youth groups and Sunday schools to do the things that He created us as dads to do uh, with our kids. And, and that's, that's a powerful thought, because sometimes in America, we take our kids and we just kind of like drop them off and expect that he's going to fix them. You know? and, and we need, to, we need to be pouring into our kids. How do you do that if you've never had an example? If you've never had anybody do that for you, like, like your dad when you were growing up? Um, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. But start where you are. And your kids might be older. They might be teenagers, and you've never done this before. Okay, start where you are. It's never too late. God got a hold of my dad in his mid-30s. That's, that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm 49. I still want to be learning. I think that if, you're, if your sons and your daughters are in their teenage years, they probably still want to learn too. And, and I didn't see perfection in my parents growing up, but I saw my dad try. I saw him struggle through this stuff. And because he was struggling through it and trying to figure out how to do it right, it made it easier for me than when I'm a dad to start a little bit ahead of the game compared to where he started on these things. And that made it easier for my son, who's now a dad, to start with his kids. And that's cool, okay? Your sons and your daughters get to stand on your shoulders. And, and you might feel like you don't have much to give them in this area. Maybe you're the first link in the chain for your family to the cross. Maybe you're the first person in your family that's come to Christ. Wow, that's awesome. What a huge privilege and a huge responsibility. And you don't have to be a perfect dad to be effective. You're the best dad your kids could ever have. Some of y'all are stepdads. Let me tell you, God put you there for a reason. Because you can come alongside those kids, your stepkids, as a mentor, as somebody that loves them unconditionally, as somebody that's just a model for them of how to love Christ. And you don't have to preach to them, and you don't have to feel like you're responsible for, for their, their growth or their change. They are, not you. But you're in a unique position where you can show them, I care for you because you're valuable. And just model it for them and just show them to them about how to do it right. And you know, it's one of the best things your kids are going to learn from you is how to make mistakes because they're going to watch you make them. And they're also going to learn that it's okay to make mistakes because my dad made it, my stepdad made mistakes, and he was okay. And, and like, you know, I still love him. I guess it's okay for me to make mistakes, too. So don't, don't let mistakes keep you back. Don't, don't let that keep you back. If, you're, if your kids are older like mine, you know, and they're starting to get married, and they have kids, you have opportunities there to pray for them. 
I got a text message this morning at 5.30 from my dad. He said, I've already been praying for you today and praying for the men at the, at the uh, Iron Man of God event you're going to be speaking at. That's neat. That's neat. Um, I have letters from my dad saying, I'm proud of you, I love you, and I want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. That's really cool. I wouldn't sell you that letter for a million bucks. Take the opportunity you have to speak into the lives of your kids, at whatever age they are. Write them a note. Do something like that. And just encourage them along their, in their walk with Christ. That's part of being the spiritual leader for them in their home. How many of y'all are grandpa- grandparents, grandpas? Yeah, I've got a little 14-month-old, 13-month-old grandson, and we found out uh, Thanksgiving they came over for Thanksgiving dinner, and little Harrison comes walking in the house like this. And he's got a T-shirt on later on that day. It says, Big Bro. So we got a number two on the way. Um, this is my son's Bible. Um, it actually was my dad's Bible. And one year for Christmas, he gave all of his kids, all of his grandkids, um, uh, one of his Bibles because he wanted them to see what was important. He wanted them to see his notes. He wanted them to see what he had underlined and what he had written and, and places where he had said, oh, that reminds me to pray for, for this person or that person. And uh, so, so we did. That was, that was Christmas one year. And, and when Joshua opened this, he said, uh, my dad said, well, Josh, would you, would you turn over to, to the book of John? And, and he gave him a, book, a verse in the book of John to, to read. And, and Joshua flips open the book of John. He was probably like, I don't know, 10 years old or so. And he says, Opa, this is kind of a weird Bible. It doesn't have a book of John in it. And he said, yeah, let me, let me tell you about that, Josh. He said, I was flying on an airplane. And there was this guy sitting next to me. And he was, he was in uniform. And he was headed over to uh, Afghanistan. And... You know, I, I was uh, in Germany in 1967, 1968 in the Army, and, and that's the first time I ever heard somebody share the gospel with me and that I could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and you know, the seed was planted and nothing happened for many years after that, but that's the first time. And so I, I, I was talking with this, this uh, young man, this soldier, about, about my relationship with Christ and about my journey that started way back then when I was in uniform just like him. And, and I got a chance to share the gospel with him. And, and I asked him, do you have a Bible? And he said, no. And he said, I pulled out my Bible. And I didn't want to give him the whole thing because I'm still reading. But I pulled out the book of John, just ripped it out. And I said, here, read this. Start here. He says, and, and give me your address and I'll send you a Bible for yourself. And, uh, and he said, so every time you, you flip through this Bible and you go to look at the book of John, um, pray for that guy. Now, that's a 10-year-old kid whose, whose grandpa says, I read my Bible and write all over it. Wow, what an example for a 10-year-old kid. That, that's a 10-year-old kid who, who hears that his, his relationship with Christ is supposed to result in sharing about it with other people. That's the example he's seeing. That's the words he's hearing. That's a 10-year-old kid who understands that prayer is important. And that sharing his faith should be just a normal part of life. That's not just for the pastor up front. But talking about where the rubber meets the road, you know. And not in a preachy way, you know. There's no, no, no pulpit there. And, you know, there's just sitting next to the guy with a Coke in your hand. And, and he's got an orange juice or something. And, you know, and, and talking about real life and saying, hey, how does this book apply? And also, this is a book. You can read it. You don't have to, like, keep it out there, you know. You can read it like any book. Pick it up and read it. It's God's word. 
And, uh, and that's pretty powerful. That's pretty <coughs> powerful. Um, in the book of Genesis, uh, in, in chapter 48, Jacob blesses his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh. <clears throat> I know one grandpa who's practiced, <clears throat> excuse me, whose practice is whenever his grandkids come to visit, before they leave, he takes them off into a side room one-on-one and he prays for them. And he's been doing that since they were little kids. How do you think that impacts them? Hey, we have the opportunity to do that too. I haven't started that yet, but I'm going to start that now. That's one of the places that I'm really wanting to grow in because I'm on the front end of that grandpa stuff. But that's a, that's a neat opportunity. <clears throat> Pray for your grandkids. Be on your knees for them. Uh, some of you are single. <coughs> and as I talk to single guys in my office, you know, most of them say they'd like to be married someday. Um, finding a spouse is not like musical chairs. You've got to claim yours before the music stops and all the chairs are gone. Okay? <laughs> I was up in New York and my wife was in Florida. Well, my, this girl that was going to become my wife. I, I was stationed in Georgia, and she was in South Florida. I was stationed in Texas, and she was in South Florida. And we spent 20 days together before we got married, uh, over about a two-year period of time, with a lot of letters and a lot of phone calls. God was not there wanting, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get them to meet? I mean, they're, like, in different states. You know, he's, he's got it under control. And uh, he'll bring that person in your life when he's ready, and, and that's great. Um, but now's your time to prepare. Now's your time to figure out what it is to be a husband and study that stuff and think about that stuff so that when that moment comes, you're not going, where do I start? You know, you've already been chewing on that, okay? Hanging out with guys like this on your, your uh, weekly breakfast, your weekly coffees, oh, well, soak it up. You're surrounded by men here who've got great examples of how to do it well and great examples of how not to do it well and you can learn from those and, and to me those are, those are both successes, right? Those are, those are learning opportunities and, uh, and, and that's great. Take advantage of it. That's why God puts you in this group with these men so that you can learn from each other and they can learn from you too because your enthusiasm for life sometimes is contagious in their lives. How about being a patriarch? Some of you all are kind of in that spot where you're, you're the, uh, the one in the family that everybody looks to. Do you take advantage of that? Do you take advantage of the power and the authority that comes from that kind of position? We used to in our culture, but um, I don't think we understand that anymore because we're so scattered and fractured. I, I had a, an opportunity with a couple of my sons. Have you all read... Um, um, raising a Modern Day Knight. Okay. Uh, if you haven't, there's, it, it's a book about like rites of passages and how that can be important in our son's lives specifically. So I had a gathering for my oldest son when he turned 12 or 13 or so, and I had a bunch of guys there that were important in his life, youth pastor, uh, um, grandpa, his best friend's dads, and things like that. And I had somebody speak to him on what it is to be a man of prayer, a man of faith, a man of the word, a man of vision. And uh, then I was able to kind of put a bow on the package. Well, I had a, an opportunity to do that for my second son about a year later. And my dad was part of that again. Um, 
and, and he looked across the table at, at Josh, and, and this is what he said. He said, Josh, I'm your grandfather, and I want you to hear this very clearly from me. This book, this is God's word, and it's true, every bit of it. Stake your life on it. Now, that's a patriarch speaking in to somebody in the generations to follow very authoritatively and very directly about the influence of God's word in your life. My son sat there and just soaked that up because he respects his opa. And he looks up to him. And that's the kind of opportunity that you have, if you're a patriarch, to influence those coming along behind you with clarity, with very decisive clarity. This is true with your words. And you can be a good example, and they become moral people. Or you can be a good example who speaks about why you do what you do and take people back to the Bible, take them back to the cross of Christ over and over and over again. And those people in the generations following you will not become moral people, but they'll be confronted with the gospel. They'll be confronted with God's plan for their lives. They'll be covered in prayer. They'll be pointed back to the word, which is the source of wisdom that God gives us. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. If you're, if you're in that position as a patriarch in your family, take advantage of that. Let me, let me walk you through. Those are generations of life, like, relationally. How about spiritually? What does that look like? We all need mentors, right? Maybe you're a mentor. Do you realize that people watch you? Do you realize that people look at you? I had a guy pour into me for four years when I was in high school. And that's what set me on a different trajectory. That's what God used in my life to really um, lead me and guide me and directly, direct me in the direction that he wanted me to go. And he grounded me in God's word. And I look back on that, and he's one of the people I respect more than anybody else in this world. And I saw him about, uh, about four months ago. And, you know, we picked right up that conversation. And, and it's good. Maybe, maybe you're a mentor. Take advantage of that. Because there are men in this group who are hungry for somebody like that. Because you saw at the beginning, how many of you had a good example of this in your dad? Okay. There's a lot of us in the group saying, no, I didn't see it. Sure wish I could see it somewhere. Will you come alongside them and be that person for them? That's sharing life together. How about a peer? We need people walking side by side. You know Tim Burke. You've, some of you guys have met him. He, he and I, we talk. He's one of my go-tos. I'm one of his go-tos. And we share life together, the ups and the downs. We don't hide the ugly from each other. We don't. And just because I'm a family therapist doesn't mean everything's all squeaky clean in my closet. God's still working on me, too. You know that verse about he will continue to work in your life God, you know, until the day of Christ Jesus? Okay. Well, I'm not dead yet. God's still working on me. You know, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. He's still working on me. And Tim's the one who gets in my face and thumps me in the chest sometimes. Back up, Tim. You know? And I do that for him. We need that from each other. We sharpen each other. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right? Yeah. Okay, iron men of God. That's right. Let me tell you about something that happened to me. Because another one of these P 
piece of relationship is just the example you are. When I was up at West Point, my third year there, I had a, a buddy come up to me, and it's about 8 o'clock at night, 8, 8.30 at night, and he comes up to me, and he says, you're a Christian, aren't you? I mean, like, aggressive like that. And I said, yeah. He said, I want you to know that I gave my heart to Christ in a Navigator's Bible study tonight, and I've been watching you for two years, and that was a big part of it. And I thought, wow, cool. I mean, that you gave your heart to Christ, that's really neat. Oh, gosh, I hope what you saw was good, <laughs> you know, because um, I know me. And Orlando ended up graduating from West Point, served as a field artillery officer, got out, went to seminary, got back in as a chaplain. Um, he came to Christ. I mean, he, he grew up as a migrant worker in Southern California. Last time he saw his dad, he was about 10 years old, and he and his brother were running down the street carrying their baby sisters because dad was drunk, chasing them down the street, and he wanted to rape his sisters. And, you know, next time he heard from his dad, it was dad been dead for three months, sitting in a morgue somewhere, and nobody knew who he was to claim the body, and that was about 10 years ago. So Orlando didn't have an example of this, and he came to Christ through a Navigator's Bible study, a small group like you guys get together on, you know, your weekly coffees. You know, he, he, got, he got plugged into something like that, and, and that's where he came to Christ. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But he thumbed me one day in the hallway and just, you know, pegged me against the wall. You're a Christian, aren't you? You never know who is watching you. There are people all around you at work, under your roof, your neighbor, who are watching you. And they might just come up someday and say, you're a Christian, aren't you? I've been watching you. And you never know it. You never know it. Your example as a follower of Christ will touch many, many people. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. I, I spoke with a buddy out in, in California, another classmate, and we were chatting about just difficulties in life and challenges that he had been going through and, and deployments and marriage issues and dealing with alcohol. And, and he, was a, he was a Christian. He was a believer. And I said, uh, I said hey, Bob, do you know, you know Orlando? And he starts laughing on the phone. And, and he said, yeah, I know Orlando. Let me tell you a story. He came into my room up at school one night, and he said, Bob, you got a Bible? It's that same kind of aggressive. I think it turns out it's the same night he caught me in the hall. And Bob said, he turned to his roommate, Dave, do I have a Bible? Yeah, we got a Bible. Where is it? I think it's downstairs in the trunk. I don't know, in the footlockers, down with, you know, with luggages or something. They gave us one we got here, didn't they? You know, the chaplains give you the Bible with the gold paint. It's still there. And uh, he said, yeah, I got a Bible, Orlando. And Orlando said, hang on just a second. He took off, and he came back a few minutes later, and, and he had a Bible, and he handed it to, to Bob, and he said, here, read this. Start in the book of John, right? right? Start in the book of John. No, this doesn't have one. Anyway, start in the book of John, you know? And... Uh, and the phone got quiet. And I could hear that Bob was kind of choking up on the other end. And he said, I still have that Bible. And he said, for me, that was the turning point because I always thought that God was just kind of like this check the block on Sunday kind of thing. And he's out there somewhere. It doesn't really care for me. And I don't really know if he's that important anyways. And, and in my conversations with Orlando, I learned that God wanted a relationship with me. And he gave me that Bible to read. And I started reading it in the book of John. And I realized that all the stuff that I've been doing trying to be happy. It wasn't filling the hole in my heart. And for me, that was the beginning of my journey of learning how to, how to pursue a relationship with Christ. And what does that look like? And he said, yeah, I still have that Bible. I still have that Bible. Fast forward a little bit. Orlando is a chaplain. He's getting deployed overseas. And my kids, my sons were probably uh, seven and eight at the time. 
And I said, hey, why don't you guys pray for, uh, pray for Orlando? Charles, you're eight. Why don't you pray for Orlando? And, and Josh, you're seven. Why don't you pray for Orlando's son, who's, who's a little bit younger than you? You pray for Nathaniel. They've never met him. Okay, my kids have never met this family. And uh, it's okay. They're, they're chewing on this. And it was just part of my, my thought as a dad as to teaching them how to pray. It was just to give them something they could pray for over a period of time. So a couple weeks later, I, I asked Charles, what are, you, what are you praying for, for Major Madrid? He said, well, Dad, I've been praying that, that, um, that he would be safe. I hope, good, he's in Iraq. You know, it's a good thing to pray for. It's, you know, it's kind of a dangerous place over there. And um, a couple weeks later, so what are, you, what are you praying for Major Madrid about now? Well, Dad, I've, I'm, I've, I've been praying that he would be consistent in having his quiet time and just reading his Bible and, and figuring out how to fit that into his day. And I knew Charles was working on that as an eight-year-old kid. Wow, that's not what I was thinking about when I was eight. That's awesome. Keep praying for that. A couple weeks later, okay, so what are you praying for now? Well, Dad, I've been, I've been praying that, that, um, that, well, praying, praying that God would prepare the hearts of his soldiers to hear about Jesus. Wow, cool. That's an awesome prayer for an eight-year-old kid to pray. A couple weeks later, by the way, your kids will show you up, you know. They'll, they'll surprise you with the things they come up with. A couple weeks later, what are you praying for? Well, Dad, I've been praying that Major Madrid would be, be bold to share about Jesus uh, with, with his soldiers. Would, would you do me a favor, Charles? Would, would you write him a letter and just tell him the things you're praying for him? So I get a phone call a couple weeks later, two weeks later, from Kimberly from Louisiana, Orlando's wife. And she said, I just got off the phone with, uh, with Orlando and... He received Charles' letter this morning, and he was calling to say that he had just been able to lead three of his soldiers to Christ. And he said, please tell Charles, keep praying. I've been watching you for two years. Turns into that with my son. And I still get emotional because that's, that's like anchoring my son in his walk with Christ. That little boy grew up, he's a dad now. He's a husband and a dad. Who's watching you? Fast forward 20 years. What's it going to look like? You have an opportunity to lead well in your home in your work, in your friends, in your, in your small group. Take advantage of it. Lead well. You never know what God will do in the lives of the people who are watching you. But you must be deliberate about it. Because there's so much in life that will just distract you. There's so much that will pull you off and keep you busy. we got to get the basics well. And if we do that, and we show that to other people, and we talk about it amongst other people. We sharpen each other. Watch out what God will do through you all to change this world. So if you look at me, what's your impression of me? Do you see a guy who's ordinary like you? Because I am. Do you see a guy who's got a seminary degree? I don't. Do you see a guy's perfect? Not me. Not me. I'm on the journey too. And I look back with regrets, and I look back with smiles and some of the successes, 
and that's great. I asked about your family growing up. Let me tell you about mine. My dad came to know the Lord when I was 13. He was 33. And you can hear what's happened over the next few generations. Don't discount whatever is going on in your life. Don't count yourself out. Because when my dad was 33, he could not have predicted what would be going on right now. He could not have known that his son would be standing here talking to you all about being the spiritual leaders in, in, your, in your little realm that God's put you in. And if he had thought, well, you know, I, I'm 33, what difference can I make? My kids are too old. I guess I'm too late. And you'd be having somebody else speak up here this morning. I told you I had a man invest in me for four years. Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into? Oh, what a neat opportunity that is. I told you I saw my dad grapple with this stuff. He wrestled with it. Y'all know what a steno pad is? All right, for those of you who don't, it's like a, like a spiral notebook with the spirals at the top. I hate them to this day because my dad would take sermon notes in him at church. And that was when I really didn't want to be at church. And I'd sit in the front row. He'd want to learn, and he's like this. And I'm in the front row going, you know. And he would joke, okay, if the pastor ever says anything, I'm going to say, he's not sleeping, he's praying. Really, he is. And, and, but we'd get back after Sunday church, and we'd sit around the lunch table, and my buddy's walking around with a soccer ball out front going, you know. And, uh, and my dad's got his tie on still, and he's got his steno pad with his notes from the sermon. He wants to talk about them over lunch with the family. And I'm thinking, oh, can I go kick a soccer ball, you know. And I didn't make it easy on him. But he was trying. He was trying to get some traction, trying to figure out what to because he didn't see it in his dad. See, my dad grew up in a house where they didn't believe in sickness, disease, evil, death, sin. And they were Christian scientists. They were nice people. But, you know, when your mom tells you that uh, you don't need glasses to see the blackboard, you're just not trying hard enough. And there's no sickness, disease, evil, death, and sin. And you go to Vietnam and find out that that's not true. Those things do exist. Um, that's pretty rough. But I saw change. I saw change in my home. I saw before and I saw an after. And the change happened when my dad said, God, I'll trust you. I'll try. I'll try. It's okay not to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to be an awesome husband, an awesome dad, to be a powerful man of God. You do not have to be perfect. Step up to the plate and give it your best shot. And God will use you in ways that, that bring him glory. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. There'll be a famine in the land, but it won't be a famine of food or water. It'll be a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. A famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. May there never be a famine under your roof. May your home be the place that people hear God's word read. Not in a preachy way, just in an ordinary way. And you know, it's going to look different in your house than it does in mine. And that's okay. That's okay. But Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. Go for it. Dave, we have time for questions and answers? I have two questions, and then I'll open it up if anybody else has a question. Um, 
I can't remember who wrote the five love languages. Gary Smalley? Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman. Um, if I feel like I'm meeting her needs, and I'm doing that over and over and over, and yet my needs are never being met, what do I do with that? What's my responsibility as a husband? And if it's not just happening month after month, yes. it's year after year. Sure, absolutely. Great, great, great question. All right. Again, back to my wedding vows. There's no fine print that says I deserve to be happy. The very first verse I memorized is John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Thanks. You know. The rest of that says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. There's a place of reality where life isn't always easy. Fair is where you get cotton candy. All right. Ranger school was hard. All right. Get up and drive on. There's a place where as men, we need to just say, I'm going to do the right thing because that's what I do as a man. When my kids were little and there was a 2 a.m. diaper change, I didn't really feel like doing that. You know, I don't like the cold because I was too cold in the Army. That's why I live in South Florida. You know? and, but I get up anyways when it's cold because I have to go to work. So there's a place where that's true. Now, put that aside. When my needs are not being met, when your needs are not being met, that hurts, right? That's hard. And we as guys tend to stuff those feelings inside. And we don't talk about them, we just stuff them and they just kind of fester and we, you know, and it just, and it hurts. And we end up spiraling down and that builds resentment and that builds anger towards our wives. And what we need is we need safe people like the guys sitting around you where I can go and I'll pick up the phone and call Tim or he'll pick up the phone and call me and say, you know what, it's really hard. Um, I deal with this a lot in my office. That hurt, that frustration, that sadness, that's big. The only thing worse than feeling hurt and sad and frustrated and things like that is feeling that plus alone. I can't deal with your hurt, your sadness, your pain. I can't like snap my fingers and fix it. But we can change that alone for each other. And maybe we can walk the journey next to each other and I can just be a safe place to hear about it and say, I get it, I've been there. You know? When I have people come in my office and they, they're embarrassed to be there, I tell them, like I told you up front, yeah, the 20th anniversary, if everything's fine in your marriage, where would you spend it? And they're like, I can't imagine we're going to get past this week, you know. No, 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 no. Like, God's able to do a miracle, so, you know, snap your fingers and everything's fine. Well, where would you celebrate? And they tell me Fiji or the Alps or something, you know, skiing. And, and like, okay, well, we celebrated ours in the marriage counselor's couch. And they go, um, yeah, can we be real with each other? Because if you know that I walked through some stuff and I made it, maybe that gives you hope, too. Psalm 23, though, I walk through the valley of shadow of death, though I fear no evil. We cannot walk around it. Sometimes those difficult seasons come. We can't walk around them. We, we can't run through it. It says walk through the valley of death. We can, I'm ready to get out of this one. Can we just run? You know, sometimes we can't run. But it doesn't say pitch your tent there. And in the midst of that, we have a choice. Are we going to keep our eyes on the problem? Or are we going to keep our eyes on Christ? If you go back to your feelings and how you feel about that stuff, you'll end up in a place with a lot of pain. If you go back to Christ, you'll see that, you know, maybe God put me here to love my wife in the midst of this. And she can't fill my bucket. He has to. And that's hard, guys, because it does hurt. And we do have expectations and unmet needs. And that's hard. But if you can walk that beside me and encourage me in that moment, or I can encourage you in that moment, Maybe that gives us just enough to take that next step 
to where I can get through today and then maybe we can talk on the phone tomorrow morning again. That's sharing life together as men. And that's the only solution I've found to that answer, to that problem. Because it's a dangerous space. Oh, it is. When my needs aren't being met because I can justify pretty much anything. And then I can fall off that justification cliff. Absolutely. To making a really bad choice. There's no fine print on here that says that I will do these things for you as long as you fill in the blank. Or as long as you don't fill in the blank. You know, I, I know a lot of guys in the army, you know, who, who, were, who were hurt, who were wounded physically or, or emotionally. It's not what their wives signed up for. It's not what they thought they were going to have in their future either. Does that mean they're not lovable anymore? When our wives hit menopause and things change or, or when they have emotions that go up and down with their menstrual cycles, do we serve them and love them then or do we get angry at them? You know? Those same hormones that cause those emotions are the same hormones that let them have babies, which means it lets us be dads, gives us the privilege of being a dad. You know, did God put you there to love her right there in the midst of that and to be patient with her? There's no return policy. It's not like we can go back to Walmart and say, I want the next model, you know. Um, and I'll tell you, just because of the work I've been in, that divorce is, uh, is painful. It is. It is. And God heals that stuff. And if you've been divorced, God, God restores and God heals. And, and praise the Lord for that, you know. That's, that's really true. But if you haven't crossed that road yet, Scripture says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with one another. You couldn't force your wife to marry you, but you could give her an invitation, and she could choose to show up and say, I do. And we've got to give that invitation every day, and we've got to choose for ourselves what we're going to do. And that's where the rubber meets her. That's very hard. The last question I have from your book, mm -hmm. um, and a, a wonderful way for us to love our speaker this morning is every guy buy a copy. How much are they? They're 15 bucks. 15 For every guy to buy a copy, he's going to be in the back and signing them. But it's an intimidating place. I don't know why it's so difficult for me to pray with my wife. Mm. You know, it's, I don't know why. Maybe I'm intimidated or something, but I love the fact that you give in here kind of these practical steps and tools. Mm. But why do I struggle with that personally? <coughs> I mean, when I, when it's, yeah. it's like this, Satan's like there. You know, she doesn't want to hear you pray. Just Life is too busy. Um, I want to pray with my yeah. wife every day, but I... I I, I, I don't know if I'm intimidated or what, but I struggle with that personally. So, again, back to my wedding vows in your relationship. I'll, I'll help you grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I said that in front of a lot of people on May 8th of 1993. And before the Lord, I made that commitment to Shannon. Uh, eight years into our marriage, I was in an uh, accountability group, and I was meeting in a fellow's garage at 5.30 in the morning on Tuesdays. And Billy, who was very type A and, and, and very kind of in your face, even at 5.30 in the morning, he said, uh, he said, how you doing praying with your wife? Not and I'm good. like, oh, gee, Billy, go for the decaf, you know, orange juice. And, and I said, well, I, I, uh, I, I say grace before we eat. He says, that doesn't count. <laughs> and, and he challenged me, and it really got me thinking. And... You know, my impression of praying with Shannon was we've got to sit on, the, on the, the, the family pew in the living room. Do you have one of those? You know, and we're going to hold hands, and we have little kids in, and they're not going to make any noise. They're not going to wiggle. Half an hour, Father God. You know, and, and, and all right, I'll fall asleep in the first five minutes of that, and I'm not coming back for more. 
what I learned that praying with my wife involved is, you know, she washes the dishes and I dry. That's kind of where we talk at the end of the day. And, and I might be a little bit faster than she is. And I'll just walk up and put my hands on her shoulder. And, you know, God, thank you for the privilege of being Shannon's husband. Would you help me to love her as Christ loved the church? You know, um, amen. I just prayed with my That's wife. Simple. You know, might be at the end of the day where I just wrap my arms around Shannon while her head's on the pillow. And God, thank you for the privilege of being Shannon's husband. You know, I, help, I, I want her to, to know how much you love her because she's experienced that from me every single day. And it might be that. It might be just sitting on the couch like we did last night before I drove up here and, and I, I prayed for her time with our daughter and uh, last night one-on-one and she prayed for, for me uh, this morning and for you all. You know, and that was, that was five, ten minutes. Um, but sometimes it's short little things and sometimes it's long things, but I've learned it is not a performance and my wife is not grading my prayer. She's grateful that her husband seeks God's face. And she's grateful that she knows that I am accountable to God. And I know I'm accountable to God for how I treat her. And so it's not a performance thing. And I, another thing is somebody challenged me once, do you pray when you have an argument? You've got to be kidding, we're arguing. And he said, no, it'll change the way you argue. And I have learned when I see things heading south to, to say, hey, can I pray for us? And I've also learned in that moment not, not, to, you know, not to pray anything for my wife because she can hear that as, dear God, fix my wife and let her know that I'm right. right? <laughs> and I don't want that. So I'll pray things, you know. a little bit worse. Yeah, and I'm not talking some long prayer. Oh, Mr. Spiritual over here trying to you know, get God on his side. But seriously, hey, you know, can I just pray for us, Shannon? Um, God, this is hard. I, help us not to say anything that would dishonor you. I, I want to I listen to my wife. Would you help me to do that well? And help us to get through this together. In Christ's name, amen. You know? And I'll tell you, I'm not perfect at that. And there are a couple of times that I've caught it too late, you know. And and Shannon's been on the other side of the room saying, Yeah, you go ahead and pray. And once she said, You pray, you want, I'll be in the other room. <laughs> and you know, that's on me. That's not on her. Because I didn't lead her well in that situation. I didn't catch it soon enough. Um, but I caught it. And I was able to pray. And, you know, God worked on her heart. A few minutes later, we're in the other room talking together and working through it. But that's part of praying, too. And it's not about performance. If you think, if you think it's about, like, how well I do or how well I sound or do I use the right words, you know, it's not about that. If you talk to a four-year-old, he doesn't care whether you use the right words or not. If you're a four-year-old talking to your daddy, a four-year-old doesn't care and dad doesn't care. He's just glad you're chatting with him, you know. God's the same way. We can talk to God, and, and, and it's not about performance. Your value in God's eyes is who you are on the inside, not in what you do. And your value in people's eyes is who you are on the inside, not in what you do. So it's not about performance. Awesome. Yeah. Rob, thank you for sharpening us this morning. You're welcome. Guys, if we can give Rob a hand.